Thanks for that beautiful song reminding us that we are perfectly loved. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we have just been encouraged in heart. And reminded, Lord, that your love was demonstrated upon Calvary. Oh, Father, I pray that we might never forget how much you love us. And now speak through thy precious word, we pray. And may we apply it to our hearts, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you'll take your Bibles, please, and let's turn to Psalm 110. Psalm 110 together. And uh, we continue our study in the Psalms, and we come to Psalm 110. We can't miss this Psalm. You know, we, as we've gone through this study, uh, we couldn't cover every Psalm. So I just asked the Lord, Lord, show me what Psalm uh, you would like me to to bring to the people every Sunday. And uh, when I came to this one next, uh, it just was one of those special ones that uh, uh, we can't overlook. This is a Psalm of David. As you can see, it is a fairly short Psalm, seven verses. But uh, this particular Psalm uh, is one of the most prophetic messianic psalms in all the psalms that we we find in scripture and king david is going to provide us with beautiful prophetic insight into the coming messiah the one the jews were longing for to redeem them and to rule the world and 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 to raise up israel in power once again and we will find here that Psalm 110, maybe you didn't realize this, but Psalm 10 is quoted more frequently in the New Testament than any other psalm. And that's why I believe it's important that we look at this this morning and take to heart the truths we find here. Look with me now at verses uh, 1 and 2. David begins... The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. The Lord will stretch forth his, thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of thine enemies. Rule in the midst of thine enemies. Now, as we see the first verse here. Uh, right away, David is speaking prophetically. And here is what the Lord God, uh, our Heavenly Father, proclaims about the Messiah to come. Now, when you first read that initial statement by David in verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord. Now, that that is extremely confusing if you first look at it. How do you break that down? What does it mean when David says, the Lord says, my Lord? Well, this clarifies things when we look at the Hebrew meaning of each of these words, Lord. Okay, so I want you to catch this. Okay, notice the first Lord in verse 1. There, 
if you look at the Hebrew of that word, it is the word Yahweh. It is the Hebrew title of God for Yahweh, which is also I am. It's referred to as I am when, when God was speaking to Moses out of the burning bush. And he said, I am. And when, when God spoke to Moses on different occasions, he would tell him, uh, tell him, when you go to Pharaoh, you tell Pharaoh that I am the I am. That's who's sending you. But this is the name for God as it relates to God as the all-existing one, the eternal all-existing one. So that's, that's the word Lord here, okay? So, so the Lord, God of the universe, Yahweh, then David says, this Lord says to my Lord. Key word there is my, do you see that? David is saying, the Lord now says to my Lord. David's talking about his Lord. Now, he just talked about the Lord, but now he's talking about my Lord, which is someone different. A, a different Lord, yet still deity. And this, in the Greek, the word for Lord here in the Greek is the word Adonai, Adonai. And this is the word, the title used for God uh, when we speak of him as sovereign and master over all things, okay? And how you know the difference here, look very closely at uh, the first Lord. Notice it is all capitalized. Every letter's capitalized. That tells you when you read that in the Old Testament, it's speaking of Yahweh. But notice the second Lord is capital L, but the rest are in small case letters. And th that, that defines in our English the difference between the two words and the two titles for God. So, and so basically... David is saying this, Yahweh says to David's Adonai to sit at my right hand. And this, of course, David is referring to someone greater than himself because he calls him Lord. So there are two, two uh, persons here in this verse that he begins this prophetic psalm with. And he's basically saying, God of, the, uh, uh, of Israel, the God of the universe, says to the, the Messiah who is to come. And this Adonai refers to the Messiah, the Christ who would come. And that was prophesied. But who is this Adonai? Again, Jesus makes it clear. So uh, if you will... Quickly turn with me to Matthew 22. Let's go over to Matthew 22 and we'll see the Lord Jesus as he speaks. In verse 41, 22 verse 41. 
And here Jesus is confronting the Messiah. Uh, I'm sorry, the, the Pharisees concerning his Messiahship. And uh, they are questioning him. And now, verse 41, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ whose son he is? And they said to him, well, the son of David. You see, the Pharisees believed that the Messiah that was to come was, of course, they knew he would come through the line of David, David, the tribe of Judah. And so they figured he was a son of David. And then verse 43, he said to them, Jesus said to them, then how does David in the spirit, okay, directed by the Holy Spirit, call him Lord? Notice capital L, then small case letters, Adonai. How does David in the spirit call him Adonai saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put thine enemies beneath thy feet. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son? This is an interesting study just right here. But notice that Jesus is quoting Psalm 110. Because here, again, Jesus is confronting the Pharisees with the truth about himself. And he is presenting to the Pharisees that, that, that the Messiah to come cannot be David's son. There's got to be something. He's got to be different because David, Jesus is saying, David called this Messiah to come Adonai, called him Lord. Therefore, he can't be just fleshly, uh, a fleshly descendant from the tribe of Judah. No, he's got to be something more. He has to be God. And that's the whole uh, basic truth of what, what Psalm 110 is all about, and what Jesus is trying to point out, that the Messiah, he himself, is, yes, he's through the line of David, but he is also God. He is Adonai. And so we see here the first uh, time that the, uh, uh, the uh, Psalm 110 is quoted, and it's quoted by the Lord Jesus Christ. As you recall back in Matthew 16, when Jesus was with his disciples, he asked them, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And of course, some of them said, well, some say you're John the Baptist or he's John the Baptist. Others say the Elijah. They say you're Elijah or Jeremiah, one of the prophets. And then Jesus said, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? And if you were to go out and poll the people today, just off the street, and you were to ask them, just ask them this question. Who is Jesus to you? Who do you think Jesus is? Most people would say, ah, uh, he's a good teacher. He's got some good things to say. Yes, I believe he was a good man, you know, and, and was killed, maybe crucified, if, if he was ever real at all. But 
you won't find people out there who don't know Christ. They won't call him Lord, Adonai, God, the Messiah, the true Christ, both human and deity. And so when he confronted his disciples and says, who do you say that I am? Do you remember what Peter said? Peter said, thou art the what? The Christ, the son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He made that proclamation and Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. This was the, the uh, grand revelation from the Lord Jesus Christ and from the Spirit to Peter's heart. His eyes were opened to understand that Jesus is truly the Son of God. And when we get a grasp of this, as David did now, get a grasp of who the Messiah is, and to realize that this great king saved you and saved me, we, and that we are allowed to come into his presence, we should live in awe, and it should, should motivate me and you to obey the king, to obey the Lord, to obey him. I want you to turn to one other passage here before we go back to Psalm 110, Acts chapter 2. If you could slide over to Acts chapter 2 with me, here is sermon uh, Peter's first sermon Acts 2 verse 29 so we're picking it up in the middle of Peter's sermon Acts chapter 2 verse 29 brethren I may confidently say to you regarding the patriot patriot patriarch he was a patriot too patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him an oath to seat one of his descendants upon his throne, he, David, looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. That was another uh, prophetic statement in one of the Psalms by David. Verse 32. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we all are witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and that's what David was saying in the first verse there in Psalm 110, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. Remember, this was the day of Pentecost when the Spirit was given. Verse 34, For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, and here it is, now Peter quotes Psalm 1 10 verse 1 the Lord said to my Lord sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet 
Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this man whom you crucified. Peter makes it clear. He pulls out the quote from David from Psalm 110, and he says, do you want to know who this Jesus is? He's the one David spoke of. David was just human. And yes, the Messiah came through the line of David. But the Messiah is more than just a man. He is God. He is Lord. Notice he says, God has made him both Lord and Christ. King Jesus. So turn back with me now to Psalm 110. I wanted you to see the, some of the areas in the New Testament where it, uh, this psalm was quoted, and we're going to see another place. And uh, there are actually three books uh, in the new, uh, in all of Scripture where we we uh, we will see a certain uh, part of this psalm quoted again. But look again, verses one and two. The Lord says to my Lord, "Sit at my right hand." until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet. When did this happen? Of course, when Jesus rose from the dead, he met with his disciples, and then he ascended into heaven. And where did he sit? Sat at the right hand of God, his father. And there he is now. And if you and I could just picture the throne room of God, and we're going to see a picture of it in just a moment. But picture the throne room of God and picture the Son of God sitting at the right hand of God the Father. And that's what he is trying to make clear now in this prophetic statement. That Jesus is at the right hand of God the Father until he makes his enemies a footstool for his feet. And then verse 2, the Lord will stretch forth thy strong scepter from Zion, saying, rule in the midst of thine enemies. Rule in the midst of thine enemies. Jesus is going to uh, ask, uh, put his son, Adonai, Yahweh is going to put Adonai on the throne in Zion, And he will have a strong scepter, which means he will have power to rule. And he will rule in the midst of his enemies. Notice that here the the prophecy is of Jesus, the Messiah, ruling over the nations. And of course, we know when that will be. When Jesus returns to earth... After we are raptured away as the church, we are all taken up. And then after seven years of tribulation on the earth, and the Antichrist raises up, and all the armies of the the world are his. And then Jesus returns with us, and we will see that in a moment. He returns with us to set up this kingdom, and Jesus will reign for a thousand years through his power, through his strength. And this world will be changed. Can you imagine living in an America that is righteous? That is completely, 100% righteously ruled. 
Think of it. America, every single judge would make a perfect judgment in righteousness. And every leader in America would be under the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they would rule and reign so that any decisions made and all the laws of the land, not just of America, but all around the world, after Jesus comes, he's going to sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. What are we going to do? We, as the church, come back with him and we are going to reign with him. We are going to reign with Christ on this very earth, right where you sit. Dear friend, we think we're, we look at death we get sometimes we get scared of death. It's you know it's the unknown. And am I just gonna you know some people get this idea that heaven is is just I'm gonna get to heaven and I'm just I'm gonna be given a harp and I'm gonna sing with the angels. A lot of people get that view of heaven, but we have to look into God's word. What does God's word tell us? It tells us that there is coming a day when the King. Jesus, the Messiah, is going to return to earth and reign on this earth physically. And you and I are going to reign with him. Notice verse 3 when he says, Thy people will volunteer freely in the day of thy power when he reigns. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, thy youth are to thee as the dew. Thy youth are to thee as the dew. This is uh, metaphorically speaking, but he's talking about uh, those who will be coming with Christ and who will, will be reigning with Christ and living uh, under his kingdom on earth. That, that word people there, notice he says, thy people will volunteer Freely, the word "people" here, uh, it, the the Hebrew translation for the word "people" here is only found six times, and its emphasis is a military phrase. So that if you were to look up in the Hebrew this word "people," it basically means troops. Has the idea of troops. Those of you who were in the army, in the military. You know, and you were part of the armed forces. You, you know, uh, the troops, when the troops went out to war, you know, they, they were led by their king. And so here, this is the word being used. So David is prophesying of a people who will be like troops, like soldiers that will come with the king. And they are going to volunteer Freely in the day of power when Jesus takes power over the earth. And now we can turn to Revelation chapter 7. And by the way, notice that before you turn there, in verse 3, the rest of verse 3, in, they come, the people come, who are volunteering to, to help and to serve, in holy array. If you have a King James Version, it, it, it's, it says there in the beauty of holiness, okay? But holy array, all right? So these, these people are, are robed in holy array, in beauty. And now, now turn with me to Revelation chapter 7. 
because we can see the connection here. As David is prophesying about the king to come and how we are the people, the troops that are going to return the saints with him. But here's a picture of heaven. Revelation 7 and pick it up at verse 9. Seven, we come to seven and pick it up at verse nine. John writes, after these things, I looked and behold a great multitude, which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb. And what are they clothed in next? Look at that. Clothed in white robes. And palm branches were in their hands. Here are all the saints of all the ages. And here you and I are. You and I are here among this great multitude. Because this happens after the rapture. After Jesus has taken us all up to glory. And we have new resurrected bodies. We are going to be standing around the throne. And we are going to be robed in these white robes. With palm branches and look what they cry out verse 10 and they cry out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who what sits on the throne God the Father Yahweh as we saw in Psalm 110 and to what who the lamb there is Adonai and there so this is what we will be crying out before the throne God's throne and the son's throne and all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God. Worship God. We are all going to fall down on our faces and worship God. Then Verse 12, saying, this is what we're going to say, amen, blessed and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever, amen. And one of the elders answered, saying to me, okay, so this is, and by the way, when you see the word elders here, uh, being used here in chapter 7, and uh, also back in uh, in chapter four. In fact, let's take a quick turn to that. All right, we're going to come right back here, but go go back to chapter four, Revelation here. Slide over to chapter four, Revelation, because here is mentioned for the first time these elders. Revelation four, verse four, and again, this is a picture of the throne room of God, and around the throne were 24 thrones, and those 24, uh, we believe, are symbolic, okay, symbolic thrones of the saints. And upon the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns on their heads. Notice what they're wearing? The white garments. And most good Bible scholars, if you're going to do study, you will find that most believe that the elders here, when the word elders is being used, it's being used of the church. 
the church that is in heaven, which you and I are part of. So we are part of this group of elders, and this is here. Uh, there are thrones there, but we are going to be part of this, and uh, we are going to be reigning with Christ, of course, but this is a future event. John was taken to heaven and was able to see these things, able to see the, uh, uh, the throne room of God and see the elders. So I want you to keep that in mind as we consider the, the elders in, back in chapter 7. So flip back now to chapter 7. Okay, so one of the elders, and remember, John is standing in the future. He's looking to the future here in Revelation. So this is all something that is to come. So God's allowing John to see all this that is going to happen. And one of the elders, verse 13, and one of the elders answered saying to me, these who are clothed in white robes, who are they? And from where have they come? Now, one of these elders is asking John, who are these people, these multitude of people who are all robed in white from every nation? And John kind of knows that he knows. So look at verse 14. And I said to him, my Lord, you know. <laughs> he says, you know. Has anyone ever, you know, you, uh, you've asked someone a question when you already know the answer? Yeah, and then... then they go, come on, you, you already know the answer. Why are you asking that question? So he's setting John up. And then, of course, he tells him. He says, my Lord, you know, verse 14. And by the way, notice when he says, my Lord, it's a small L. OK, so not referring to God. And he said to me, these are the ones who come out of the great tribulation and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God, and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne shall spread his tabernacle over them. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst no more, neither shall the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. For the lamb is in the center of the throne. And, and the lamb shall be their shepherd and shall guide them to springs of the water of life. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. John sees a picture of those that were martyred on earth during the seven year tribulation period. They died for their faith in Christ. They would not take the mark of the beast. And therefore, the beast uh, had them killed. And they suddenly there are these millions from, from the tribulation that will be in the throne room of God. And John sees them all. And they are robed in white. And they were washed in the blood of the Lamb. But you and I also are wearing white robes because you and I have been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And we are going to be in the throne room of God one day. And then that Jesus is going to bring his throne to earth. And we are going to reign with him as he reigns from Jerusalem. But I wanted you to see this picture again of the white raiments, the white robes. And then quickly, Revelation 19. 
Slide over to Revelation 19. And this is, of course, when it begins, when Jesus returns to earth to set up his kingdom. Okay. And uh, <clears throat> uh, Revelation 19, let's pick it up, verse 11. And I saw heaven opened, John writes, and behold, a white horse, he who sat upon it is called faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and upon his head are many diadems. And he has a name written upon him, which no one knows except himself. And he is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. If his name is called the Word of God, do you know who this is then? This is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And look at verse 14. And the armies which are in heaven... So there's that troop, that the, the word that was used in Psalm 110. The armies which are in heaven, clothed in what? Fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. He's, Jesus is going to return from heaven to conquer the enemies on earth at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, and we are going to be riding with him. We're going to be riding with them. I don't know how many of you ride horses, but uh, I've always enjoyed when we were able to go over to, the, to Cliff and Faye Burger's farm and get to ride the horses there. I always love to ride horses. Uh, uh, sometimes I, I, I think I should have been born in the 1800s. You know, when everything was horses and uh, the Old West, and I'm, I've always loved the Old West history and things like that. But riding on horses, but picture it now, okay? So the psalmist David is talking about there's going to be a time when the, when the Messiah is going to make his enemies his footstool. And he's going to come with his army of saints. And here it is right here. And what is going to happen? Jesus is going to stand up off his throne. Picture this. The king of kings, your king and mine, who gave his blood for us and shed, gave his life that we could be saved and be, be righteous and be robed in white and be sinless one day. He is going to get off his throne and he's going to mount a horse, a white horse. But he is going to go forth as a warrior. His robe will be dripped in blood, as it were. And he is going to be ready for war. But we are going to then mount horses as well. And we are going to ride with him, behind him, to come back to earth. And be, he will be victorious over his enemies. And we shall return. And look at, look at the rest of this then. And then verse 15. And from his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may smite the nations. And he will rule with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And he, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You know, people today, they will take Jesus... And they will try and 
confront you as a believer and they will, they will say, well, God is a God of love. Jesus is all love. And so, so he, there's, you know, he would never, he would never uh, uh, do anything to harm anybody or, or to, to, to uh, bring justice to evil. God is a God of love. So basically, we can do anything we want on this earth because, because God's a God of love. Jesus is just a shepherd, a kind shepherd, holds his sheep. Yes, he is. But there's the other side. Remember, he's a king and he has enemies and we have enemies who are his enemies. And he one day will put on his armor, as it were, and he's going to return and he's going to be as a warrior king and he's going to defeat the enemies of earth. And you and I are going to be part of it. Thank you, Lord, for what you are about to do. So I want you to turn back now to Psalm 110. I know we spent a lot of time here on this, but I thought it, uh, it was so important to get a, a glimpse of, uh, again, what David is, is prophesying and foreseeing. As we come back here, look at verses 4 to 7. Let's read the rest of the ch- chapter together. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. What will he not change his mind about? He will not change his mind about his son, the Messiah, ruling and reigning. He will not change his mind. Thou art, and he's speaking now, this is the Lord Yahweh speaking to Adonai, the one at his right hand. Thou art a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at his right, the Lord is at thy right hand. He will shatter kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. There's the judgment of Christ. He will fill them with corpses. He will shatter the chief men over a broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside, and therefore he will lift up his head. Again, he concludes this psalm speaking of the king returning. The king is coming. Remember that old song, the king is coming? We used to sing it as a family back in the 70s. The king is coming, written by Bill Gaither. You know, uh, and and what, if you can just imagine that the king is going to return And we're going to return with him. And we're going to be riding with him. We're going to come and reign with him. But notice verse 4. I want to end with this. Just the focus upon verse 4. Okay, the Lord's not going to change his mind. And then what does he say about the Messiah? Adonai? Thou art a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And there's that mysterious name. That we don't know much about, okay? But if you, if you take time, go back to Genesis 14, you will read about Melchizedek. He was, back then, the, the story is that Abraham had just finished rescuing Lot and his family from, uh, from the, the enemies and was coming back home when suddenly the king of Salem, he's called the king of Salem, named uh, uh, Melchizedek, he comes out 
greets Abraham, gives him a blessing, and a blessing to God, and saying, God has blessed you with a victory here, Abraham. And Abraham knew there was something special about this man. Because, and by the way, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness. And he was the king of Salem, which would later be the city of Jerusalem. The king of Salem. What does the name Salem mean in Hebrew? It means peace. So this mysterious priest, he was a priest. It says he was a priest of the, Lord, of the holy God in Genesis 14. He was a priest, but he was also king of Salem. He was a king and a priest. And therefore, Abraham then offered up an offering to him as, as a thank you. But this mysterious Melchizedek is somebody that somehow is a type of Christ. A type of Christ. And the last place to look is Hebrews chapter 7. So if you'll go quickly to Hebrews 7 with me. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1. And the writer of Hebrews The writer of Hebrews speaks of Melchizedek in various places, but I want you to look at verse 7, verse 1. Here he is mentioned. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham as he was returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, Genesis 14, to whom also Abraham apportioned a tenth part of all the spoils from the war. He just, he, the battle he just experienced, he's giving him a tithe, was first of all by the translation of his name, Melchizedek. Here's the translation of his name. King of righteousness and then also king of Salem, which is king of peace. And what, verse 3 Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of days, but made like the Son of God, who abides, he abides a priest perpetually. So what's this all about? What's, what's the writer of Hebrews basically saying? Now, he, now some, some Bible scholars believe that the king of Sam, Melchizedek, was actually Christ pre-incarnate. That that was a Christophany, it's called, where Jesus appeared in the Old Testament. And so th some believe that that was Jesus appearing uh, as, uh, as, Melchizedek, as a Melchizedek figure uh, to greet Abraham. We don't know that, but when it says here, verse 3, this, this, you would say this about Jesus, humanly speaking, without father, without mother, without genealogy. He's talking about on a human plane, on a human level, okay? But nowhere do we see in scriptures, he's referring to Melchizedek as, you, you don't read about his parents, you don't read about his father, mother, you don't see any genealogy, you don't know when he was born, you don't know when he died. He's a mystery. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying, this is a, Melchizedek is a picture of Jesus, the high priest of God. Melchizedek was a priest. 
Jesus is, um, uh, was not of, did not come through the Levitical priesthood of the Old Testament, did he? No, he came through the line of David, but he was not a priest. But he was a priest, according to the scriptures, after the order of Melchizedek, which means we're not talking about the human aspect. The writer of Hebrews is basically saying that Adonai, the Messiah, is, will not only come as king, but remember, he's coming as a priest. And he came as a priest on that day when he came from heaven to earth, and he took on the form of a servant, and he went to the cross, and the altar was there as he, the high, our high priest, and the scriptures re- tell us of Jesus being our great high priest, who went to the altar on the cross, and he laid himself down as the sacrifice for our sins. And he shed his blood that you and I could be forgiven. That you and I, I will one day wear robes of righteousness for all of eternity. And it's all because my high priest went and shed his blood and paid the once for all sacrifice for my sin and for your sin. And so this is what David is trying to present prophetically in Psalm 110 and the picture of course he uses Melchizedek this mysterious man in scripture as a picture of Christ who had no beginning had no end but he is the one time eternal sacrifice as the high priest of God for your sins and mine my friends as we close here this morning you and I you and I have an opportunity to live our lives while we still have breath, to live our lives for the King of kings and Lord of lords until he returns. You and I are called as the royal priesthood, as Peter put it. He said, we are a royal priesthood, the church. We are holy. We are to serve the Lord until he comes. And may you and I, this as we, we think, would you think this week, about the return of the king, that Jesus is coming again, and when he returns, we are going to reign with him. So this is what we have to look forward to, my friends. It's not just this life, but there is eternity, and there's going to be life on this earth that we are going to be part of. How beautiful it is, and you and I are going to reign with him. Take these truths to heart this week, and remember that the blood was shed for you, that you might be called the children of God. Let's pray together. As we close this morning and bow before the Lord, dear Christian, perhaps this morning you came with heavy heart. You've been going through the trials of this life and you've been burdened down. Your heart's been broken. You've been torn apart. And you just, you've been trying to struggle through it, whether it be health, whether it be financial, emotional, relationships, things are broken. Would you this morning focus upon who you are in Jesus Christ and that he is loving you with a perfect love? And that he sent his only begotten son to die in your place. And he's coming back for you. 
And one day you will be robed in righteousness you and robed in white because of his blood that was shed for you. Take heart, dear believer. And if you're, you need to lay something at the altar right now today, do it and give it to the Lord and turn it over to him and let the King of Kings who lives in your heart take control and leave the results with him and he will strengthen your heart and carry your burden and give you peace. If you're here without Christ this morning, you've never trusted him as savior, I invite you to open your heart to know him. He is waiting to come in and save you from your sin. If you're ready to make that decision, you understand that Jesus was a sacrifice for you on that cross and you admit you're a sinner, but you want to be saved. Pray with me now. Pray a simple prayer like this. Say, dear Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on that cross for me and you took the punishment for my sin. Come into my heart right now. Wash my sins away. I receive you today as my very own Savior. Thank you for dying for me and rising from the dead. Lord Jesus. And with heads bowed, if you accepted Christ as your Savior, you prayed that prayer, you are now a child of the King. You've been washed in the blood of Christ. You've been born again spiritually. Welcome to the family of God. Heavenly Father, thank you for decisions that may have been made. Father, I pray that we might leave here rejoicing in our salvation, rejoicing in our King, the Lord Jesus, who is coming again. And Father, may we live in an expectant way, knowing that he could return any moment, any day for his, his bride. Father, even so, come Lord Jesus is our cry. Help us to be found faithful and serve thee with all our heart. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.